Coffee in Space is a podcast by S. Daniel Smith that puts the best in established and up-and-coming science fiction and fantasy writers in front of you, their readers. Dan's goal is to help you learn more about who they are as people, how they write, and how they live. Whether you're listening to this podcast at home, or in your car, or somewhere in between, Dan hopes to transport you to the crew lounge on an intergalactic spaceship where you can have a cup of your favourite coffee with science fiction and fantasy authors. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, I'm Dan Smith. I'm a big science fiction fan and a heavy coffee drinker. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Coffee in Space. William H. Keith has joined us today to discuss his writing style, his process, his pseudonyms, and so much more. William is an author of over 100 books. William, thanks for joining us, and thanks for having Coffee in Space with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Call me Bill, and I'll have a Diet Coke. <laughs> Sounds good. It's getting a little later in the day for, uh, for coffee, maybe. Um, as a quick aside to listeners, I first interviewed Bill on Season 1, Episode 13, so go grab that and uh, kind of learn about his uh, then-current project, which was Alien Secrets. We'll probably talk about that a little bit here, too. Uh, so, Bill, for those who don't know you well, tell us a little bit about your publishing history. Well, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, I was an artist. Uh, I did uh, cover art and illustrations for a number of science fiction role-playing games, RPGs. Traveler was probably my best known. I also did a lot of work for FASA which produced a game called Battletech. Um, at some point along the line, I began contributing writing to those companies uh, for their in-house magazines, for game modules, things like that. And uh, I guess I was just in the right place at the right time when FASA decided they wanted to launch their own in-house series of novels set in the Battletech universe, kind of like uh, the old Dragonlance books, uh, for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I was in a position, I was able to write the first three novels of that series, and that kind of got me off and running. I had always wanted to be a science fiction writer, going back to when I would uh, scribble very bad novels in my notebook in the back of the bus coming home from school. Um, I kept trying to sell short stories and I kept getting rejected through the, 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 the usual story. But then in 1983, I had my big chance with the, uh, the Battletech novels. Uh, after that, and because I'd actually started novels and finished them, uh, a publisher in New York City at Berkeley Books approached me about doing a series called Freedom's Rangers. And uh, that was, okay, it was about time-traveling U.S. Army Rangers in the far-off future year 2007, fighting the Russians who'd managed to take over the whole world, and I was told under no uncertain terms that this was not science fiction. It was a military thriller, so, but it had time travel in it, so, so I, I still look at that as my uh, first SF series uh, after Battletech. So ironically, I'm just going to break in real quick. Sure, sure. Ironically, at the time, it was, well, according to the publisher, military thriller, and according to you, science fiction. Reading it now, we would consider it alt history, I suppose. I, I, think, I think so. Uh, as a matter of fact, the book that never got published 
I, I had a, 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 an idea out there for how to wrap up the series. And that was to have the time traveling rangers go help out a uh, little known Soviet apparatchik in Moscow uh, named Gorbachev and uh, put him on the road to power. And by so doing, they completely change history. The Russians don't take over the world and we have the universe that we're in now. That, that was how I wanted to end the series. That's crazy. That's just really <laughs> great. Almost predictive in how you, uh, how you went about that, um, which I find in a lot of good science fiction writing. Um, okay, anything else in the publishing history you want to know? I know I, I kind of broke the... the oh, no, that's okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I've written a lot of them. I, uh, by the time I did Freedom's Rangers, I was beginning to pick up other New York publishers. I did, I did a series called um, Carrier, which was a naval aviation series that was meant to capitalize on uh, Tom Cruise and the uh, Top Gun craze back in the 80s. By and large, my publishing history has been a pretty even mix of science fiction, mostly military science fiction, and straight up military, military histories, that sort of thing. A lot of them are, are books set in other people's universes. I also set books in my own universes. So pretty much about I want to talk about that here in just a minute, but let sure. me talk about the fact that you write mostly in military-related themes. Is that because you started your adulthood in the military and the Navy as a corpsman, or uh, is it just something you fell into? Oh, very much. I, I had uh, not only been in the Navy, my dad had been a corpsman in the Navy before me. Uh, we had a Navy corpsman love Marines, so so we had we had that in common. And uh, I just so deeply admire the Marines especially, but anybody who's served their country like that. I do have a very good knowledge base on the military, and I draw on that constantly. Uh, I've been under discipline, as they say, which means I can write realistically about being on a, a ship out at sea, and the captain comes in and says, do this, and you say, yes, sir, or aye, aye, sir. So I've been yeah. there. Yeah, well, and a lot of people are uh, the military fans of science fiction and fantasy will know that, uh, that phrasing as well. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty uh, pretty great. I, I'm sure Marines love their corpsmen just as much as any corpsman might love being around the Marines. Some of my biggest fans out there are actually uh, Marines or retired yeah, Marines. I believe that. Um, okay, so about the overall writing history, do you have a personal favorite uh, series that, that even if it's in the past, you would go back and write in again if you could? Well, generally, my favorite series is the one I'm working on now. Probably the one book I had the most fun with wasn't a series. It was a, a standalone book. Somebody came to me and had me go out to Burbank, California, and locked me in a hotel penthouse for a weekend with an actor named Peter Jurisic. And uh, some of your fans, I'm sure, will uh, know Peter Jurisic as the alien Londo on the uh, TV series Babylon 5. Delightful guy. And we sat down and we hammered out an outline for my first science fiction comedy, which technically was written with, uh, with Peter. And that one was about a, uh, an actor in a TV science fiction series who there are aliens who think he really is an alien ambassador as he plays on his TV program. They abduct him 
to end a war out in space. And meanwhile, they have a very alien alien who's using some advanced technology to mimic this actor. And he's trying to figure out what the heck is this Hollywood thing all about? This is a real alien culture. So wow. that, that, that was uh, the book called Diplomatic Act. And that's probably my favorite. Yeah, I'll have, um, have to link to that and actually get a copy of it myself. It sounds a lot of fun. I think it's kind of hard to come by nowadays, but it? uh, yeah, it, it, it's out there. So the series I'm working on now, of course, is uh, Solar Warden. Uh, first book's already out there. I've already turned in the second book, which is, I hope they're going to call it Alien Hostels. Uh, third book, uh, probably set here on earth for the most part although i'll be out in space a little bit and um so that's where where most of my focus is going to be yeah and when you say and i don't mean to respond tongue-in-cheek to your statement earlier but when you say your your favorite has to be the series you're working on now is that so that you'll throw all of your appropriate energy into it or is that uh something else probably has to do with energy it has to do with this curse i'm under where every time I go back and start reading one of my old books, I invariably find a passage where I'm saying, why did I say it like that? My gosh. Yeah. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a series I'm working on now where I have a chance to get it right. Someday I will. That's a, I, I guess there's positive and negative. As an aspiring writer, hearing you say, uh, maybe you'll get it right this time, uh, both inspires me that I can also be there someday. And, and also maybe like, I don't know, worries me a little bit that I'm never going to get to the, the place that I need to be. But I think it's important probably to hear it no matter how it goes out. Well, well let that relax you. No matter what you do, you're going to screw up. But <laughs> you do so in an entertaining way and uh, people will like your, like your writing. That's good to hear. Uh, so for the aspiring writers out there like me, that's, uh, that's something to take home with us. Okay, so let's talk about pseudonyms. You've written under several different names. I actually lost track of how many of them there were. So have I. Yeah, <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, so talk to us about pseudonyms and how you choose a new name. Okay, well, a um, long time ago, I was actually turning out books at the rate of uh, one every six weeks. And my agent talked to one publisher who said he really didn't like working with a writing machine because I was just turning out the book so fast. There's also this tendency uh, in the industry for book buyers for the big book chains to assume that if you've just finished a series of six books, the new book you're working on has got to be book seven in that series, even though it's supposed to be a new series. So they're not going to order as many. And that can uh, put a real damper on sales. So I chose the name Ian Douglas because I was working with a very well-known and respected editor in New York called, uh, his name was John Douglas. So it was kind of an homage to him. My very first series for a New York publisher was uh, Freedom's Rangers. That was that Time Traveling Rangers series. And I did part of that as a collaboration with my brother, uh, John Andrew Keith. So we wrote under the name Keith William Andrews, kind of a mishmash. One editor I worked for a long time ago, he chose the uh, pseudonym Bomber Kane. 
And I kind of rebelled at that. I didn't really want to take on the mantle of somebody named Bomber, and we eventually settled on Robert Kane, but that name was definitely picked for me. H.J. Riker, who I wrote the uh, military histories under, that actually started with another writer was was supposed to do it, and how somehow or other they'd chosen the name H.J. Riker for him. He couldn't go on with it. I got the project, so I got the name H.J. Riker and a one-month deadline for, wow. I think it was a 150,000-word novel. That's a lot. I, I'm still recovering. That was in 1993. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> That uh, that oh. takes uh, NaNoWriMo to a different uh, level. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, an awful lot of the pen names are what they call house names. I wrote a series on uh, naval carrier aviation called Carrier, and that was under a house name of uh, Keith Douglas. So I got to choose the name, but the name belonged to the publisher. The reason for house names is if I get too big a an opinion of myself and say, well, hey, I'd really like some more money. They can look at you and go, sorry, we own the name. We'll get somebody else to do it uh, under our terms. So uh, that's not meant to be bitter. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make fun of it. But uh, uh, house house names are a way to control the uh, the product. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know of a couple of house names, uh, well, or at least names that are several authors write under for a publisher. Uh, my daughter's a big fan of the Warrior series. That's uh, Aaron Hunter, uh, mm -hmm. YA books. And, and I know there's a good four or five people who write in that. So I know that still is a something that happens. Um, something you mentioned that I want to hit on, the publisher wasn't interested in a writing machine. And at that time, you were pumping out a book every six weeks or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seems to me that authors are only putting out a new book maybe once a year. That seems to be the about the fastest people are getting them out through the publishing process. Is there is there still a place for a, a individual like you putting out six week six uh, week novels, or or is that kind of a bygone era? I think it's bygone. Um, I no longer write a book every six weeks. Uh, I'm getting about two a year out. I would like to do three. There appears to be a slowdown, a change of um, tactics among New York publishers where they're only going to turn out like one book a year in a series. And that has uh, impacted me pretty, pretty considerably because uh, Har Harper is, uh, has slowed down my, uh, my publication schedule. If, if that's a trend of the future, I'll just have to uh, see about working with several publishers at once. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, this is something I've thought about for my own future career post-Navy when I've got more time on my hands. But it seems like maybe because there are still some science fiction and mystery short form, other technically long form, I guess, or six to 8,000 word stories, but mm -hmm. uh, the magazines, the, the, the Pulp Fiction of today, Mm -hmm. uh, is it something where you could find a place uh, creating new worlds and characters for an Asimov's or an analog type situation? Or is it really book length that you like doing? I prefer book length. Actually, writing a short story for me is harder than writing a novel. And that's because every single cotton picking word in the short story has to be focused on the plot and the resolution. Uh, there's very little room to build an exotic world or discuss an exotic life form or an alien biology. It just, you just don't have the room. And that's the stuff that I really love to do. Also, 
back in the 50s and before, it was perfectly possible for a good writer to make his living just writing short stories and selling them to the markets. There were dozens of science fiction and uh, horror and what they called weird fiction markets out there. That has, I think, tragically changed. We have, what, three, maybe four major science fiction short story markets now, and lots of others, they come and go, and they don't pay that well. Uh, even something like analog is still paying, uh, I think they're up to seven to 10 cents a word now. Yeah. Back in the 60s, they were five to seven cents a word, so they did the, the price just hasn't gone up, and I'm afraid the cost of living has. Yeah, so, and, and you know they're not gonna wanna see the same author name in every issue, and they, right. You know, even if they're monthly, and I'm not even sure there are any monthlies anymore. Mostly bi-monthly now, I think. Mostly bi-monthly, yeah. So it's it's really tough to make a living just with the short stories nowadays. Yeah, uh, I could very much understand that. Um, okay, so you just mentioned that writing a short story is harder uh, because you don't get to go into the world building that you do with mm -hmm. a novel. How about nonfiction? So you've written some nonfiction books, uh, and of course we have the the one where you wrote it in a month uh, for 150,000 words, which sounds just uh, impossible. So I can, I can, maybe we put that one aside, but do you approach nonfiction and fiction differently or uh, do you find some of the same concepts uh, work both ways? I should say that that series where I did the first book in a month, that was fiction. Uh, you know, I, I was making up the oh, characters I and I was, making up the situation. It was all based very, very closely on things that really happened. Oh, okay, got it. And uh, like uh, one of the books was set at uh, uh, Omaha Beach. And okay, the things that happened to the characters were out of my own head, but I was describing very closely the actual battle. That makes sense. I think the one thing about nonfiction, and I will include in that the lightly fictionalized fiction, it's got to make sense. Hmm. And it's, I, I should say the fiction has got to make sense. Real life and the nonfiction often doesn't. And uh, it's a challenge to write the narrative and have it come together uh, in a way that's really more natural for fiction. Yeah, I can see that. that uh, so in your like outlining process, you would have to try and find ways to connect dots maybe in nonfiction. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay, great. Uh, so you've written for uh, some franchises as well. We talked about uh, the Battletech and, and I think you had some others as well. Um, I saw some for Dr. Hugh, Dr. Who, Stephen Kuntz's Deep Black series, and of course the Battletech that we've talked about. I'm sure you have others. Mm -hmm. But what's it like to write in someone else's world? Interesting. Um, writing in my own world? Freedom. On the other hand, and to be fair to all concerned, uh, I cut my writer's teeth on the Battletech universe. And that was where these various game designers had put together this whole universe. They had their own planets. They had this whole technology. And it was kind of up to me to come in with a fictional series and try to make it make sense. I like to use Battletech. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to poke fun at it. I, I, Battletech has been very good at good for me. But when you really look at it, this universe has these 10 to 12 meter tall humanoid machines clumping around on the battlefield, blowing things up. 
come on. This is just, this is just right. silly. Yeah. Uh, I used to refer to, uh, these are called battle mechs. I call them silly mechs. Um, <laughs> That's funny. But uh, I actually got a name for myself taking these things and trying to set it up to say, well, okay, this could work. I once, I had one uh, scene in the very first Battletech novel where I have these 10 meter tall uh, battle mechs and they're going to launch an ambush. So what do they do? They lie down on the top of the hill so they're not showing their silhouette and they launch their ambush and people were looking at it and saying, they can't do that, can they? Huh. Why not? Yeah. And so I tried to have it make sense. Right. Um, Overall, I prefer building my own worlds. Um, I like doing my own technology. I like doing my own history of, of, of those fictional worlds. Um, I, I mentioned the freedom. There was one series I did, and I, I won't name the game it was set in, but the, game, the, the, the book itself was called Two of Minds. And in that universe, if you wanted to design a starship, if you double the size of your starship, you double the mass. And if you think about that, it doesn't work. It, it, it right. goes up much faster than that. Uh, that was one where I just ignored the masses of the ships. I, I, I made my own anyway, with, with reasonable masses. That's good. Um, okay, so we've kind of talked about this just a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, earlier on, we were talking about the different series as you've done. Uh, Solar Warden is your current project. Mm -hmm. the uh, the official question according to our outline is what's next for you we've touched on it but sure. uh so let's maybe try and project even a little bit further out than that is there mm -hmm. already you got anything in development past solar warden the three book series mm -hmm. i have not yet sold it i haven't yet even pitched it but i do have an idea kicking around i would very much like to do um it's probably a case of me biting off way more than i can chew but its working title is The Decline and Fall of the Galactic Empire. Nice. So it just think, yeah, think big. Yeah, what that sounds good. Is that, is that a, a trilogy or is that a series or do you know yet? I don't know. Uh, New York tends to give me series in three book chunks. And that's yeah. actually caused me some trouble in the, in the past where yeah. they told me I was, the, the series wasn't doing well. It was uh, going to be shut down. I had to go back and do some changes to shut the series down. And then the last book goes bestseller, and they're back there. Okay, here's a here's a uh, contract for three more. Uh, I like working with the nonologies, the the trilogy of trilogies, because uh, that gives me enough scope to really develop characters. And uh, in the case of the first one, the uh, Marines in Space, I was actually working with families in the Marine Corps all the way from the year 2040 out to the year 4004. So I got to cover this vast expanse of time. And uh, that's, that, that was a lot of fun. That sounds like it would be. Um, so if someone was wanting to get started on your writing, where would they start? Uh, that depends entirely on what you like. Uh, I mentioned the uh, science fiction comedy, and I often recommend that as a, just a, a one book intro let's say your your listeners are mostly in the military sf so that's yeah. mostly what i've done i try to have all my books be standalone so you don't have to go back to the beginning of the series 
But of course, if you want to see the whole thing that I'm doing, you go back to the first book of the series. I very much like the Star Carrier series, which I just recently finished. I turned in book nine of that series. I forget whether it was last year or early this year, but uh, that one's called Star Gods. Uh, but that series has been out for a while, and you can still get most of those in bookstores. I think that was one of the ones that went bestseller, was, was one of the, the, the Star Carrier books. So that that's one of my favorites. Uh, I also, I really like the Marines in Space series. Uh, the first book in there is called Semper Mars. Excellent. And I'll link to these for, uh, for the listeners out there who are uh, listening to this podcast. So check the, check the show notes on that. Uh, Bill, I'm going to phrase this next question as carefully as I can. Because <laughs> uh, you're, what I see of your hair is white. Um, and, and without asking too many questions, how much longer can we expect to be reading books from you? Oh, my God. How much time do I have? Well, I'll say that I'm not going to retire. That's uh, good to know. They, they, they will drag me out from behind my computer. So I have no idea. We just, I, I will keep writing until I do die. That's good to know. I mean, not that we want to talk about death of any kind, but that's great. <laughs> of course not. Um, okay, Bill, thanks so much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Bill Keith is a prolific and widely read author. Uh, whatever uh, name you're using to, to read from. Uh, who I'm not today. Yeah, who you are today. Uh, throw a dart and start reading, uh, but start with some of the recommendations that Bill has given us today. Bill, I've enjoyed our chat. I'm going to link to all these uh, options for folks. Um, I've I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, I know you're not on social media, but I'll link to the uh, Harper Voyager uh, link for you for mm -hmm. people to find out more information. Um, WHKeith.com for my, my website. Excellent. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I practice um, social media distancing. <laughs> That's I'm awesome. afraid of picking up a, a computer virus. There are reasons that we should all practice a fair amount of social media distancing, I'm afraid. Um, okay, folks, if you want to learn more about William and his recent writing, check out season one, episode 13, to hear Bill talk with me about alien secrets. Uh, thank you for being my guest today, Bill. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Take a look at Bill's books wherever you buy your books. And be sure to subscribe to the Coffee in Space podcast. I'm Dan Smith, and I can't wait until we meet again over a cup of coffee in space. Mm -hmm.